Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. And today we're going to continue in our Passover Passion, The Reason for the Season, Volume 3, Passion Prophecies Study, this particular Passover season in this year. And today we're going to look at Lesson 6, Authenticity. Authenticity. We've been talking each day about various ways that different prophecies applied to Jesus' final week. And we're going through his final week and seeing many of the things that happened, why they happened, were they prophesied before, and how does Jesus fulfill everything exactly as was spoken prior to his coming. Today we continue examining the events of Jesus Messiah's final week before his death, burial, and resurrection about 2,000 years ago. Today we're going to look at his authenticity and see how it shines through as he endures many challenges to his authenticity and regal authority as Messiah King. Being the Passover lamb chosen by God on the 10th of Nisan, in the exact pattern from Exodus chapter 12, we see it applied to him as well in this final week. Because from the 10th until the 14th of Nisan, every Passover lamb had to be kept and inspected constantly. And then on the 14th, the lamb would be killed as the Passover lamb. So evaluations and inspections of the lamb had to be done to ensure that on the 14th, when the lamb had to be killed, the lamb was a perfect sacrifice in order to be the Passover lamb. It's no different with God's chosen Passover lamb, Jesus. He had to endure being challenged and inspected to prove his perfection and his authenticity in every way because he was God's perfect, sinless Passover lamb to take away the sin of the world. According to John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 29. So all was done in order to fulfill the Torah and all of the Tanakh, what had been written about him prior to his coming. Over those next several days during this week, his final week, we see Jesus challenged and tested by a variety of people while he underwent the same examination as the Old Testament Passover lambs had to as well. So let's read about these and see what the scriptures tell us. In Matthew chapter 21, I want to read verses 23 through 46. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? 
And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it dug a wine press in it and built a tower and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country now when vintage time drew near he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit and the vine dressers took his servants beat one killed one and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first and they did likewise to them then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. This is also found in Mark chapter 11 and 12 and in Luke chapter 19 and 20 this week and some of the things that he's going to be encountering. In this particular encounter, this group that's inspecting him consisted of the chief priests and the elders, some Pharisees. The chief priests would be the 24 heads of the priestly courses that were serving in that time. In 1 Chronicles chapter 24, David has established 24 courses for the entire priesthood. 
and they had heads of those courses in every one of the clans that would be serving. And so they were called the chief priest. The elders would most likely represent Pharisees, Sadducees, etc., those among the Sanhedrin, consisting of 70 men, plus the high priest, at least, so there were about 71 at least. Now, it's unknown how many were a part of this, but there were several. So in this encounter, Jesus' authority is challenged, and he gives them the two sons parable. And obviously, the two sons represent John the Baptist and the chief priests and the elders. And John the Baptist saw sinners repenting, tax collectors and harlots listening to him, believing him, receiving his warning and his prophetic words and repenting of their sins. But the chief priests and the elders who had the law, who had the legal authority and representation above the people and were recognized supposedly as the ones who would obey God, but they didn't. And so they were the wicked vine dressers. The vineyard owner represents God the Father, leasing it to his servants, meaning the Jewish leadership, those chief priests, those scribes, those Pharisees, those Sanhedrin. The vineyard being his people, the people of Israel. And the son is represented as the Lord Jesus himself, the Messiah, who they would kill outside of Jerusalem on the hill called Golgotha. The point of the moral of what he was trying to tell them was the vineyard he had come to inspect the fruit of, and the vineyard was not bearing fruit. So now it was going to be ripped from the Jewish leadership and given to another nation that was going to bring forth its fruit. They would repent and bear fruit. And he was speaking specifically of the Gentiles and the church, which included believing Jews and Gentiles later to come. This also fulfills prophecy. We see it in Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus had quoted in those passages that he was speaking to them, those words he was saying. He was quoting from Psalm 118, the Messianic Psalm. Also, let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 21, it speaks of this. It says, they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. Remember, Jesus said he was going to take the fruit from them, the vineyard from them, and give it to a nation bearing its fruit. And yet the church is not a nation. So Moses had prophetically spoken about this. He says, I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. 
I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. In other words, the church being that foolish nation Moses had prophesied about, that nation that's not a nation. Then in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1, it says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. So everything that Jesus just spoke to them was all prophetic and was all fulfilled by him in his inspection of these that were inspecting him. Israel's rejection of the Messiah and its consequences were foretold in the Hebrew scriptures. Here again, proven by the scriptures as we have seen in all of our other lessons before. Jesus spoke to them about another parable in Matthew chapter 22. Let's read verses 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So Jesus is speaking here of another parable of a wedding feast. These ones who had been invited refused to come and made excuses. So God invites whoever will come and receives them instead. And God is teaching us here. That is that way with his kingdom. He will not cast anyone who will come to him by faith. And yet the religious leadership who was trying to inspect him and challenge his authenticity were the ones that were rejecting him, even though he was the authentic Messiah. So his next challenge comes by the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 13. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, or that belong to God. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So he's challenged here by Pharisees who are trying to entrap him in regard to money and paying the taxes. But Jesus will not be outwitted. He will not be trapped. Even this we find to be prophetically spoken of the coming Messiah, the coming son of David. That word is found in Psalm chapter 89. And I just want to read verses 20 through 22. I have found my servant David, speaking of the coming David, the one, the son of David, the Messiah. With my holy oil, I have anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Also, my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. So it's speaking of the fact that he will not be outwitted. He will not be tricked or brought under subjection through any form of trickery or deceit or any games that are trying to be played with him. He'll be able to pass through all inspection with flying colors. Next, he's challenged by the Sadducees. They were another group of Jewish leadership, and they also, some of them were also part of the Sanhedrin. So let's look at Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 23. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So now you've got a group of people called the Sadducees who didn't even believe that there was a resurrection. So their question is obviously their trickery. They're just trying to trick him. They're just trying to find something to find fault with him on. 
and their question itself proves that. Jesus corrects them, in a sense chiding them, because they don't believe the scriptures. They will accept maybe Moses' writings, but they throw out all the others. They throw out the Psalms, the prophets, all of it. So Jesus corrects them by directing them to Moses' writings in the Torah. That's all that they would accept were the first five books of Moses. And so Jesus speaks to them of scriptures from Genesis 17, verse 7, Genesis 26, verse 24, Genesis 28, verse 21, and also of Exodus chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 15. Both speak of the resurrection in the sense that God is the God of the living, the I am. So, Jesus' authenticity is proven again, and he stands this test and shines through. Next challenge he faces, the scribes and the lawyers among the Pharisees, leaders of the law. So we'll continue the reading, Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, meaning someone who was well-versed in the law, they were a leader of the law, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, and he quotes, The beloved Shema, which does contain the greatest commandment of all. Jesus said to him, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus quotes for them Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, which is the beloved Jewish Shema. And Jesus honors that. And Jesus tells them that contains the greatest commandment. And also, there is a second greatest. And it is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. To love your neighbor as yourself. So both were established in the law of Moses. And Jesus verifies that and honors Moses and the words that God spoke through Moses in the law, honoring the greatest commandments and the Jewish Shema. And he tells them on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. They can all be summed up in either loving God with everything that is within you first and foremost and loving your neighbor as yourself. All of the other commandments fall into one of those two categories. Now Jesus begins to examine and challenge them. In Matthew chapter 22, I want to read verses 41 through 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the spirit 
call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, meaning God the Father said to my Lord, the Son of David, the Son of God, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. So they were unable to answer Jesus in that question. Jesus' authority shone through all of these tests. His authenticity shone through all of these tests. During the week before Passover, when he would be killed as the Passover Lamb of God, he endured much challenge to his authenticity and to his authority by these various groups of people. He will even yet be challenged the rest of the week, particularly on the night and day and morning of his being slaughtered as the Passover lamb on the 14th on the sun, just before he is killed. Let's look at what the scriptures tell us about that. In Luke chapter 22, I want to read several verses in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then verse 7 says this, Then came the day of unleavened bread, or in other words, the first day of what they called Passover, when the Passover must be killed. Then jump down to verse 47 of that same chapter. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And then in verse 63, now the men who held Jesus mocked and beat him, and having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, 
you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Then in Luke chapter 23, we see where Jesus now is handed over to Pontius Pilate as well. And they're accusing him and they're trying to drum up all these charges because they want him dead. Then we see Pilate interrogating him some. The people will not go away. They won't let Pilate free him, even though Pilate says in verse 4 of Luke chapter 23, so Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, and they kept on and kept on. So Pilate hears of him being from Galilee, and as soon as he knew he belonged to that jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time, verse 7 says. So he's going now, and he's being sought after. He's being challenged and questioned by Pilate and then by Herod. And then Herod sends him back to Pilate. Yet Pilate ends up with this testimony. I find no fault in him. Yet Pilate allows them to have their will with Jesus, and he agrees to have him executed. We read about these things also in Matthew 26, verse 3 through 5, and verse 47 through 68. And in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 26. And in Mark chapter 14, in many verses in that chapter. And in Mark chapter 15. And in John chapter 18 and chapter 19. All of these passages give us the details of the final challenges to the authenticity and authority of Jesus done by the soldiers and Judas at Gethsemane. Then he's taken from Gethsemane, as we can read in all of these passages I just spoke of. Then he's taken from Gethsemane to Annas, the high priest first. Then he's taken to Caiaphas, the high priest. And Caiaphas's mock trial, illegal gathering of the council of the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the chief priests, and the Pharisees. He's then sent by them to Pilate, to Herod, and back to Pilate. Eventually, before he was innocently killed, he had eight different groups and eight different times when he was challenged that week. Nine, if you want to count the return to Pilate a second time. Just before he was killed, and he was killed innocently, just like the Passover lamb of Exodus was. The Passover lamb in Exodus had died in the place of the family who had applied the lamb's blood to their doorposts. The verdict of God's chosen Passover lamb, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Let's read it in John chapter 18, verse 38. It says this, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. God's chosen Passover lamb was examined all that week. And yet, just like the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12 had to be without spot and blemish, had to be faultless, had to be perfect. 
and was inspected to see if they were from the 10th through the 14th of Nisan. Jesus also was inspected and was inspecting himself and his people and his leaders during the time of the 10th through the 14th of Nisan. His authenticity as the perfect sacrifice Passover lamb chosen by God shone through every challenge. He did die, but that was because he was the sinless, perfect Passover lamb to be slain, following the pattern exactly from Exodus chapter 12. Jesus was the authentic lamb of God who took away through his death the sin of the world for all who will believe in him and in his atoning sacrifice for their sins. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for the remainder of this Holy Week special series of messages in our Passover Passion Volume 3 series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.